This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Matt and Brett, big show for you today. Dr. Joe is going to join us. Dr. Joe Eastman, our COVID modeling expert. He'll be here at 335. Michael Broadcorp, uh, of course, uh, will stop on by as well. Coming in, we'll have chat with him coming up in the 4 o'clock hour about his thoughts on the debate last night. And maybe a little bit more on that uh, that uh, article that Brianna Beerspach put out yesterday about the and something that was on display last night. Uh, clearly the how do we how in the world do we have a a Republican Party where you you know you're you're supposedly the new Republican Party and the reality is is yeah unless you're putting it in your party platform I don't know how you're going to do that and I just don't see how that in their party platform anyway uh, Brett how are we today I'm doing all right how about you doing okay uh, State Fair kicking off today um, this was I, I thought was an interesting article this is from Axios Twin Cities. Um, the remarkable amount of money that the, the, some of the businesses out there, the vendors out at the state fair make and how it, 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 the most popular state fair foods. Now, I mean, I, you already know what number one is. I mean, you, 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 I can tell, ask you, Brett, what's the number one state fair food? And you will say right off the top of your head. You like those pronto pups. No, it's not. Really? Not even clo- okay. What are you going for? Well, no, I'm not asking about mine. Oh, yours. Okay. Okay. What is the most popular food out there, hands down? I don't know. Uh, Sweet Martha there cookies? There you go. Yeah. You know how much money they made? What's that? $4.5 4. last year. $4.5 million is what they made in how many days is it? 10 days? Yeah, that's about oh, right. Oh God, eleven days, eleven days. Only have to work that many days a year and make. Four, you know, it's it's, it's it's pure chaos. I imagine the three weeks leading up to it, and then the week after it as well. But still, you got four point five mil. Pronto pups come in at number two. They made one point nine million. Now that's, I think how I think there's what three Sweet Martha stands. I know there's about got to be like eight or nine Pronto pup stands. So that's how they managed to pull that off. Number three, take a guess what number three is. Most popular food items at the fair. Uh, I. Don't know what do we got? Well, what what would you, when you go out there? What do you eat? Ah, uh, generally those two right now is only yeah. <laughs> wrap them, take those cookies. You can wrap them around the pronto pub. That's delicious right there. Uh, don't do that. Whatever you do for the sanctity of humankind, do not do that. Mouth trap cheese curds. I think that's in the food building. That, no. no, that's that's number three. One point four million. The French fry stand right off the midway. They're good fries, man. Although I still don't know the economics of this little cup is $3. And if you get this large barrel size vat a hobbit could float down a river in, that's five. You know, uh, that's 1.3 million for them. The Midwest Dairy Association, the, the milk, 1.3. Corn roast, 1.2. Now we're getting under a million dollars, though. The Blue Barn, that is, isn't that the place? Over in – it's kind of in the new area. So if you're coming in by that entrance, the main entrance by the grandstand, it's to the right. Robert Pilot and, and, and Native Roots Radio, they got their own stand out there. It's in that area, I believe, right there. So kind of right by the Skyway. 
Uh, they did uh, nine, almost a million, 990,000. 990, the perfect pickle. Yay. There you go. Two, 928,000. Uh, Carousel barbecue. Now, this looks like I saw the picture of this one. This one looks like it's a uh, turkey drumstick sort of thing going out there. As a matter of fact, the next two are turkey drumstick ones. And I guess a carousel barbecue I don't think is necessarily all turkey drumsticks, but they made 767000 and turkey to go is $622,000 in just that time frame. So um, I would say this. It clearly would seem to me – I mean if you look at the French fry place and then the cheese curd place, they're huge. So it's either you have to have multiple locations at the fair or have one massive facility like the French fry stand where – I mean how many how many registers do they have on that thing? Like 20, 25? Yeah, it's a ton. Yeah, they need a bunch. Yeah, as you said, if you got one location, yeah. I wonder well, if you'd prefer that to have just the one or just spread it all out across like two or three. I mean, Sweet Martha's and Prano Pups, I'm, I, I got, got you. need multiple ones for that. Well, where you're ethereal there because you can kind of go wherever you want and it's like, okay, this sounds like a good idea. The, the, I got to give – the French fry stand has got to be the best freaking location of any, any food stand right outside the Midway. So you have all these kids coming off the rides, coming off the, the, the fun, the games on the Midway, and the first thing they run into is the, is the French fry stand. They'll never give up that place. That that's that's just printing money, really. Well, printing uh, 1.3 million dollars a year. By the way, it's down still. Sweet Martha is still the queen. In 2019, it was five million in sales in its uh, three stands. Uh, the simple fare staples that dominate the growing list: the French fries, cheese curds, Prano pups, roasted corn, and the Dairy Association. All you can drink milk. <laughs> it's, it's a little. It's a little. Concerning. I, I mean, on a hot day. I mean, sure, I like milk like the next guy, but that's a that's a that's a lot of dairy right there to Outside take. Outside of the state fair, where else can you get all you can drink milk? I don't think anywhere else uh, is doing that promotion. I but know. it works at the fair, though. That's a great question. Yeah. I gotta imagine some maybe the county fairs must. Yeah, well, the, those are kind of in the same category. Outside of like county and state fairs, yeah, you don't really find uh, who wants some all you can drink milk. There aren't any restaurants, are there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't we lost another customer to heart disease. I have no idea why. Uh Quaviet. Uh Quaviet the the Quaviet the um uh, egg roll stand. Uh this is also a study for a study from Axios. Uh they become a Minnesota straight fair favorite but the vendor's quick success didn't come without bumps in the scenes. Last year the glo- global shortage of rice paper caused by COVID shutdowns in Vietnam was so bad that the owner and her partners had to buy a shipping container to ensure they had enough paper to make the 40,000 rolls they ultimately sold. It paid off. They did uh, $615,000 in sales last year, ranking 11th for all vendors at the fair. Not bad. I mean, you got to think to yourself, that actually is a little bit of a surprise that they don't do better because those are delicious. You know, more Southeast Asian food is all I have to say. More of it. More. Just give me. Love it. Uh, vendors such as uh, Quaviet are hoping to, that 2023 is a year things finally get back to normal after three years of turmoil. First, the fair's 2020 cancellation, then a small virus where it crowds in 2021, and then the worker shortage they have in 2022. Attendance and spending at the fair rebounded last year, but didn't quite reach pre-pandemic levels. 
at Giggles Campfire Grill. Is that up on Machinery Hill, kind of north of where we used to be at when we used to broadcast out there? Which, by the way, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, what's a pain in the tuck is to get out there. Uh, but is that was that that Campfire Grill? Isn't that that one right up north from us? Uh, by the where the uh, the the dome used to be by the uh, Ferris wheel. That I'm not sure. By the John Deere, or, uh, yeah, John Deere is there. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, that one. Tim Weiss has hired 260 workers on par with his 2019 staffing. That's good. He said he'd go on local TV broadcast last year to beg for workers because he couldn't find enough to sell walleye cakes and dill pickle, pickle cloche beer. Um, <laughs> dill pickle. God, man, what? What should we say? What? Dill pickle cloche beer. Would you drink that? After I have my all-you-can-drink milk. No. <laughs> then I'll just jump up and down. Let all of them mix together. <laughs> God. As long as the weather is good, he expects big crowds despite the economic uncertainty because of the tradition of it all. Expect to see prices rise this year as vendors grapple with higher costs for ingredients. While the inflation is cooled in the Twin Cities, food prices have been more stubborn. Uh, the aforementioned rice paper cost $20 a case in 2019. It spiked it last year at 120 but it's only dropped about $75 today. Uh, I got news for you. That ain't inflation. That's good old-fashioned greed. You just got to go take a look at it. It's if, they're, if the company is making record profits, it's not inflation. It's greed. Quaviet increased their price of egg roll last year from $10 to 11 the first hike in three years. But isn't that a huge egg roll? Don't they have the big ones out there? I mean, it's like a small child you're eating. <laughs> um, enjoy. You head on out there. I, I bring this up, and I wanted to talk about this because um, a major story out there today is the impact of COVID on education. As we are still dealing with the 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 consequences of this. Now, it, it's interesting that we are because it's it's. They've got the latest study out here. They've done the latest testing, and it's still not good. Um, it's it's hard. I I can't I can't. It's not my place to to put out standards or anything like this. I, we we ended up. Uh, it was you know we worked with our kids. We're there for our kids in the sense being of homework and stuff. But we understand we each only worked one job, really, uh, through that time. And so it was easier for us, and we we was you know that we weren't a single parent that was trying to manage all their all the other things that they're trying to do. It's it's hard to raise kids. It is. Um, that when when the pandemic hit, the problem that we have, there, there's a lot of people, especially conservatives, who like to sit out there and say, "Well, you shouldn't have made a big deal out of it." Well, a few million people freaking died, so yeah, you can make a big deal out of this. And people still today are dying. We are. Three and a half years after the pandemic started, and we still have daily deaths of COVID in the United States, which people just don't care about. We just don't care about. And it's a travesty. And like I said, I got Dr. Joe coming up because get the latest on this because, frankly, I've heard of a lot of people getting COVID lately, including uh, a friend of my, of, of, uh, my brother's uh, that prevented us from going up north to the cabin. We talked about that last week and earlier in August. But it, it's it's – this happened the the mistake we made is that we thought we were impervious to this stuff hospitals didn't have pandemic plans in place schools did not have a pandemic plan in place businesses did not have a pandemic place 
The state fair did not have a pandemic plan in place outside of just canceling the thing, which they had to do. But the reality is, is that this is this is the consequence of us not preparing, because I'm going to tell you what, eventually we are going to get another pandemic and it's going to be worse. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to come from, but it's going to get worse. The 1918 flu outbreak came from pigs in Kansas. This this COVID outbreak originated in China. We can't dictate where the next one's going to come from. These variants come from all over the world. And this is just, this is the new normal. But the long-term effects on education are painfully clear. Less than a half of Minnesota students met or exceeded grade-level standards in reading and math, proof that students are still struggling from COVID-19 pandemic learning loss that caused scores to plummet across the state. The 2023 state testing scores released on Thursday by the Minnesota Department of Education show test scores are still about 10% below pre-pandemic levels in 2019. In reading, uh, 49.9% of students met or exceeded grade-level standards. That's down 1% from 2022. Math scores rose about 1% from last year, with 455 of students meeting or exceeding grade-level standards. These statewide assessment results reinforce what we in the other states around the country already know. Our families, students, and school communities educators will continue to recover from the pandemic and need the support, So the Department of Education Commissioner Willie Jett in a statement. Earlier this year, the Minnesota legislature passed $2.3 billion in new spending for education, a 10% increase from the previous biennium, which swelled the state's education budget to $23 billion. Much of that money will go towards increasing the state's general education formula, which determines how much money goes directly to each district. Republicans on Thursday reiterated their criticism in the increased education spending. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's really dishonest, here's, here's all you need to know about the dishonesty of Republicans. They're criticizing the session we just had where they passed the education funding and it hasn't gone into effect for being the cause of these scores going down. So what they basically did this last legislative cycle is fix the problems with education funding, or at least begin to fix the problems with education funding that the Republicans had created over the last 20 years. But they're basically trying to say, see, we put, spent all this money on education and these are the scores. I mean, talk about dishonest. Talk about dishonest. You know, now that we're actually going to fund these schools correctly, maybe, just maybe, as opposed to, can I, and can I make this point to you Republicans? When you go around to your schools and start screaming at teachers about, you need to be put under control. I have complete control of what you teach in your classroom. How dare you do something I disagree with? You're evil. Stop with the face mask. Instead of doing that, Maybe, maybe Republican politicians, maybe what you should do is go to the teachers and say, hey, how can I help? (laughs) It's one of the two. I'm just calling you out because you're all a bunch of freaking hacks. I am. I'm just calling you out because you're all just a bunch of freaking hacks. The reality is, is that this, and what's interesting is I've got a, my, of my three kids, my son was a senior in high school. When this hit, here's okay. I'll tell you what. Let me take a break. When I come on back, before we get to Doctor Joe, let me let me just from my own perspective as a parent, what I have seen and where I think that this is. I think we're eventually going to be able to cure this problem of these scores, but it's specifically we're gonna. There's going to be a few grades we really need to target, 
And I'll get back to that here in just a second. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, okay, so an observation I have made. Now, I am not saying COVID. Any kid that was in the school system at the time of COVID didn't have some negative effects. My son was a senior that year. Uh, in, in He graduated in 2020. And the... You know, it was very stressful for him because there was this huge question of, will we graduate? Will we even be able to graduate this year? And and, and so it was very scary and he was very concerned. But his age group, the kids that were seniors, a lot of them, and I, I know a lot of them because my son, that they seem to have weathered that pretty well. It was very interesting the year before them. I know a lot of people who graduated who were actually freshmen in college that had a much harder time, especially when college went remote in 2020, that it was a much more difficult situation. Now, my kids at the time of of the COVID outbreak were a senior, 12th grade, a ninth grader, and a seventh grader. By far, I, I think the kids that were between, say, second grade and eighth and ninth grade, that window seemed to have been the age group that had the hardest time with this. And I'm not saying, once again, I'm not saying that there weren't kids in first grade and kindergarten. I'm not saying there were kids eighth and ninth grade and older that didn't have problems. But there clearly seemed to be this problem. And part of it, like I said, is it wasn't the schools. It wasn't the teachers. It's a society. We just we didn't think we needed to worry about pandemics anymore. We didn't think we needed to worry about that stuff. And so there really was no plan in place. And I, I actually give a lot of credit to a lot of smart educational people who frantically tried to piece together what was a working system from what was shut down. And it it was very hard um, for us. It, I mean, I was able to get the kids out. At least they were socializing with each other. They were able to get out. I, 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 I especially one of the things that really concerned me was when the kids started taking classes in, um, you know, classes in online, just in looking at an iPad is turning them off and getting out into the parks and, and, and doing that sort of thing or just turning them off. And we just went for drives and, and just going for drives and going out there and, and, and looking at the world. That's, you know, kind of, you know, the things we tried to do is to trying to kind of get those screens down. I knew a lot of people that because they, they were still working and stuff like this, that they, they said that's all their kids were doing for, for their entire social life was looking at a screen for six, eight months. And it, yeah, it was hard. And I, but I, and I think that that is, that's going to be the challenge. What do you need to do to remedy that situation? Because I feel as if the kids specifically that have come in to the system since then are not having the problems that the kids that were in the system had. 
And and I think that, that that's where you're going to be the challenge. And I believe it's going to be a a challenge which can be uh, you know can be solved, but I think it's going to be it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of school psychologists, counselors. You're going to need a lot of counselors, and you you need to deal with 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 you know some kids here. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that reading went down. Um. Because, I mean, there's just a, a lot of kids today that came out of that whole thing where the idea of reading anything is, you know, that's they just sit and watch videos or they sit and watch streaming services. That's what they do. And so it's you can get past this. It's just you're going to have to think of solutions for the modern age and you're going to need to make sure. And I, and I know that the DFL passed a lot of money for counselors in schools. You need to get those counselors in the schools. Absolutely. Um, it's a, yeah, this is, you know, Senator Jason Rarick of Pine City tried to say, despite historic funding for students in schools, well, they just passed that. This is solving, you, you remember when Tim Pawlenty got rid of all of this stuff and got rid of the funding, the, the Minnesota miracle, he killed the Minnesota miracle, which all the Republicans went, yay, and it torpedoed the school district's budgets. I think at the time when he did that, there was only three school districts in the state, or four, was it four? who are going to be in the black at the end of that year, <laughs> that all the rest of them are going to be in the red. And Tim, Tim Pawlenty goes, eh, it's not my problem. Yeah, it is. It actually is, Tim. Um, the education re- approved by the legislature this year isn't reflected in the 2023 data. And during the session, Democrats may, it may take years to make up for years of underfunding. Absolutely. The data shows Minnesota's racial gaps in education are still stark. About 31% of all black students met or exceeded grade level standards in reading compared with 58 of white students. About 21% of black students were proficient in math, while 55% of white students met the grade level standards. About 24% of Hispanic Latino students were proficient in math. 31% met reading standards. About 32% of American Indian students were proficient in reading. 24% in math. We will not shy away from the data that is telling us. Jet said these uh, results send a renewed sense of urgency to underscore the importance of key supporters that are already underway, uh, key supports that are under, underway. And, and that's the key. It's, this is going to take a while to solve. In the same sense is we're still trying to figure out, and, and we're going to have Dr. Joe come in here in just a few minutes. They're still trying to figure out the right concoction of the vaccines and trying to get in front of this, whether they will be able to ever or not. But we have to – we can't just sit back and, and, and act as if this is – was by design. I mean if, if you look back on this and you kind, of, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, yeah, it's a shame that the state fair lost all these – the vendors at the state fair lost money over those years. But you know what? They're seeming to be bounced back. Well, then you should have the same mentality about the school districts. But you see is you're not going to be able to solve that problem. By not funding it. That's the Republican thing is to we're going to cut your budget and we're going to demand twice as good a product. Well, it doesn't work like that. The DFL has actually solved that problem. And, you know, it's it's going to take a lot of time. If I can, one thing, whatever you have as a parent, whatever the time you have, I mean, there's a lot of parents out there who are working their butts off. They're really busy. They're taking time. Trust me, if you take some time with your kids and help them with the homework and do what you need to do. If you got any time, spend it with them. It will help. 
Being active in your kid's education is a huge part of the success model. It really is. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Dr. Joe Eastman, when we do return, it's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Dr. Joe Eastman is our COVID modeling specialist. He's incredibly smart. He's worked for NASA, the LTER, Colorado State University, currently part of the University of Texas Austin COVID modeling team from the mighty Metroplex of Grand Rapids. He is kind enough to join us today to talk about the latest news with COVID. Hey, Dr. Joe. <laughs> hey, man. How are we doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm I'm on uh, kind of uh, robotic control right now. <laughs> I've been putting in about 17-hour days looking at this bugger, and oh boy, <laughs> kind of kind of punch drunk right now. <laughs> well, at least you had some cooler air. It wasn't like it was down here where it was Bali uh, on the worst day of the year. I mean, it's it done this. Wind City has been brutal. What, you've been up there as well. You've been 65 and and cool. <laughs> yeah. Holy temperature gradient, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, we're about, uh, well, almost 30 degrees from you guys down there. And uh, it, it actually, it was pretty nice. Uh, you know, fishing was beautiful. Well, that's good. Good. I mean, the fish boiled automatically down here. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I've steamed like a lovely Asian bun. Oh, I feel delightful oh. on that. So. So but I would say I want to start off with uh, this COVID thing because, you know, you know it, it's hitting home still. I had the weekend I was going to be going up north in early August. Um, uh, uh, one of my brother's friends who came out uh, to the, our cabin uh, basically came down with COVID right before we went up there. So we ended up having to cancel it. Good news. They did recover. They were able to get back home, okay. which was good news there. I just talked to another cousin who said this is out in Colorado? They're out there. The whole family got COVID. All of a sudden, this was in the in the last month. The entire family got COVID. All of them got better. Uh, there was one or two scares with some of the older uh, family members, but still, uh, this is something I, I and I'm starting to see more face masks out, which is a good thing. Uh, but the COVID numbers, we are starting to see more and more cases uh, throughout. You you got that right. Uh, the, basically, the wastewater is. Uh, concentrations have doubled in the last about month and a half wow and uh yeah and and through my work with the uh, world health network we've been able to derive uh, actual case numbers that give us an idea what's going on across the country and currently we're up to about three hundred thousand new cases a day um you if you remember all the way back to one of our first major waves that was like Armageddon, you know, 300,000. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. And, uh, that's, that's where we're sitting right now. And, uh, I'm looking at it and there's no end in sight here for the next couple months. The, <laughs> when you look at the spike, I mean, this is something we've actually been familiar with. We go through the summer and then all of a sudden, right around August, school starts in in September. We start to see this rise. Is this is this somewhat similar to what we've seen in the past three years? Yeah, yeah. You're, and you know, the scary thing is now with the with all the uh, XBB infections, 
I know people that have been gotten infections now three different times here in the last uh, few months. It's like, holy buckets, what are you doing? Going out there and just sucking in everybody's air or what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you'd think after one, you'd take a little caution. But anyways, yeah, um, the XBB is, is kind of collectively weakened our immune systems. And I don't know, I, I got a fear that this, this RSV and flu, influenza season is going to be uh, another early peaker, but I think it's going to be pretty big, too, because our immune systems are like, would you please stop and get on top of this? <laughs> well, okay, now two things here. One, the XBB, that's the latest variant, correct? Yeah, yeah, EG, EG.5 is uh, part of that family. And also the other one that I think will overtake uh, EG.5 is uh, FL.1.5.1. And um, that's also an XBB. And the, the beauty of that is this new targeted vaccine. If you, if you map the, uh, the genetic sequences of, of these two dominant ones right now and compare them to the XBB15 that the boosters designed after, they have so many similarities. So, you know, in the studies for Moderna and Pfizer and, and such not have, have shown that uh, it it's given us a really nice uh, boost in our antibodies and should help us with those two variants that are dominant at the moment. The uh, and we'll come back to this because we're going to get your advice once again, like we did last time on what your suggestion is in regards to vaccines and stuff. But I did want to take some time here to talk about it because you, you brought it up here about the flu season. One of the things that was an offshoot of COVID because everyone was social distancing, everyone was wearing masks, at least in 2020, 2021, the flu seasons were actually quite, you know, unremarkable. They were actually, they were down dramatically from what we usually get. Flu is one of the nastiest, you know, annual illnesses we get in, the, in this country. And they, we actually had good seasons. Here we are now. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, it's even people who are con, were concerned about COVID before and get vaccinations. The idea of going back to masking and stuff like this is, are, it's, it's you know, it's it's a little bit you know they're they're just not going to do it unless we start having really big problems. I mean, how is that? I mean, this is obviously not just on COVID, but this is going to dramatically affect us in the flu season, right? You're you're absolutely correct, and that's why you know most of the Asian societies they. They start wearing their masks in anticipation of the flu season. It's mm. just, it's part of their culture. And, uh, we, unfortunately, we, we politicize these, this darn thing. And, uh, this is where we're at. And I've seen so many experts right now, um, come out and say, people, please start wearing masks now. <laughs> you know? And I wish they would have just kept this up the entire time. Uh, you know, it's hard. Hard to tell people to do something that uh, we've neglected for quite a while, you know. The um, when you when you look at this, I mean, let's look at differences between the years in the past and this one because it, you know, once again, in the years past, there has been a level of due diligence. There has been a level of of more self-awareness. I mean, we're getting ready for, actually we've started that one of the biggest, you know, get togethers in the state of Minnesota at the state fairgrounds. I dropped off kids at college. We had to go to a target store. That was a madhouse. I mean, it's, it's just, we are, we are, and by the way, I think maybe two or three people in, in Duluth at the target in Duluth were wearing a mask. It's, it's just, it's something where 
I got a bad feeling about this. What are your projections on this? Are they really looking like this could could become one of the worst of the worst? Or is it looking like it's it's going to be somewhat tempered because there is a lot of people that are vaccinated and there are a lot of people that are 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 still doing due diligence on stuff? Yeah, and well, that's the other thing. They need to wear N95s and surgical masks only give you about 8% uh, efficacy against the virus. But uh, anyways, yeah, um, the model is doing something right now that I haven't seen since about three months before Omicron hit us. Um, And by that, I mean I am getting widely divergent solutions where I, you know, I run 16 simulations to do a forecast, and then I take the average. It's called an ensemble. Okay. And uh, and the uh, spread between the the maximum uh, infections and the uh, the runs with the lowest infections is just massive right now. And I haven't seen that, you know, since before uh, B1 hit us, BA1 and. And eventually it became BA2, and we know the rest of the sad story. That led to XBB, you know, that whole family of variants, too. So it really is concerning right now. Um, As I'm seeing these similarities, and I'm not the only modeler that's seeing that right now, but I'm probably the only modeler out there right now that is going out given four-month forecasts. And, um, boy, it... uh, I, I expect at least a peak of around 3 million new cases a day, um, probably at right around Thanksgiving time. And that's the other thing. Um, is that for, is that for the U.S. or for worldwide? That's for the U.S. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like an Omicron wave, that, uh, but not quite as big. We, we were looking at around five to six million new cases a day during that um, that event. And uh, the, the one thing that I don't have in the model that might give us a little hope is the fact that um, since the CDC quit reporting vaccine data back in May, we don't get an update of that. And I have no idea how this new booster rollout is going to go. So... I'm just going on kind of a trend line and uh, basing my vaccination rates on that. And that's that's one of the weaknesses I have right now. They're they're basically making us modelers fly blind and and not providing us the data that we vitally need. And it's 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 very frustrating. I must tell you, Matt, Um, I, I was at my wits end last week when when I was trying to come up with a way to circumvent this. And uh, that's kind of where we're sitting right now. And, you know, it's further complicated because of this new variant that just raised alarms all over the place. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to talk more about that, I can. All right. Well, I I do want to get to the new variant. But uh, uh, if you don't mind dumbing down science a little bit for us. And that what you said is that you're getting you're getting these models. You do 16 models. You're getting a wide variance there, and that's causing you caution. Just as someone that understands a little bit about basics of average and stuff, why doesn't that give you hope that maybe okay, yeah, maybe the the high numbers are the outliers. That that really this is not going to be that bad. What about that? Like you said, you saw this before with Omicron. 
But wouldn't basic math and numbers and averaging say, well, if it's such a wide variant, it could go as low as just as easily as it could go high? Yeah, yeah, you're correct. And and that is why I take the average, and that's what I'm basing my 3 million number off of. Um, I still have a, 10 more runs to finish tonight, and and I'll put those together and put them in my newsletter tomorrow and uh, let you folks know. And, of course, I'll directly uh, mail you uh, with, the, with the results later tonight um, to give us an idea. But, yeah, it should be somewhere right there in the middle um, if you're doing your ensemble correctly. And I, I haven't changed anything in the last three and a half years, so I, th- I think I got a pretty good handle on it. You're you're, and, uh, you're you're doing these models tonight. I'm going to be watching like historic cooking videos on YouTube. You know, I you know <laughs> I think we do not give you enough thank yous and appreciations for spending your Thursday night basically trying to save our butts. So thank you very much, Doctor Joe. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to give back to all of you, all of you what science gave me too. You know, I, that's my justification and. Uh, I actually enjoy it. It keeps my mind stimulated, and uh, that's kind of what my makeup is. <laughs> I, I see a science article, I just glom onto it. <laughs> uh, uh, the the so let's talk this variant. What's, what, what's you know the, the the is this the uh, XBB uh, EG five or is the FL dash one dot one dot five dot one or is it a different variant altogether? It's a, a completely new bird. It, as I briefly talked about, uh, you know, we had BA1, that was the original Omicron, and that turned into BA2, and that really raised some havoc. And uh, and then the BA2 ended up being the uh, BA5, which hung around for, it seemed like, forever. It was the woodpecker on a dry pine type of thing. And then we got the, uh, the XBB family that uh, came along and is spawning variants at a rate that is just absolutely incredible. Um, but anyways, this new one is based off of uh, BA2, and okay. it's called BA2.86, and um, it has over 30 mutations. Uh, two-thirds of those are on the spike, and what we have figured out so far, based on the genetic mapping, is this thing even bonds tighter to the ACE2, which is allows the virus to get into your cells. And um, we, we're not sure if it's going to be like the new XBBs, where it actually shares its RNA with the cell and becomes incorporated into the DNA. And then the cell can't, can't call the T cells because it doesn't think anything's wrong. So that's what we got going on right now. We're just not sure about the transmissivity of this new BA2.86, and that is the big tell. And we should see in the next uh, next variant report coming out in uh, another week uh, at the end of the month or first week of September. And at that time, we'll have a much better idea. Because, you know, this thing is in seven countries, and we're hardly testing it at all. So we've picked it up, and the fact it's in seven countries is kind of like, okay, it's all over the place now. What, 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 <laughs> so, can I ask what seven countries we're talking about, or at least every, any big ones? There's a lot of daily international flights between us and them? 
Yeah, Japan was one of the the big ones, you uh, know, and of course the UK. Oh, good. So we have, yeah, a lot of travel between us. Uh, let me see: uh, Israel, Denmark, uh, South Africa, Switzerland, and Thailand round out the the bunch, I believe. And uh, we we've, we've had it in Ohio, and we've detected it in Michigan and Virginia now. So it is in the U.S. and um, uh, it's probably in a lot more widespread than just these seven countries, obviously. So, Well, um, thank God no one gets together for big football games in Michigan and Ohio. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I know. In fact, I look at the state fair, and you guys, you know, I, I love food, of course. Yeah. But you guys look at all the fair they got there, and I look at it as a super spreader event. People just converging from my, hundreds of miles around, you know. I think I'm going to be going back to I'm going to be going back to 2021 standard, which was if I'm outside, I'll be mask free. But the second I get into a building like the fine arts building or, you know, like the horticulture building, I'll put a mask on and just be in there while I'm mask on while I'm in there. I think that's about the best way to go about it. Right. And then even if if you are outside, though, and you end up in the middle of a pretty big crowd, you know, like waiting in lines and stuff. Yeah, you got to remember, people are respiring, and that thing is going twelve feet at least. If oh, there's good. no not much wind, so um, I I'd even wear my mask out there if I was down there. I wish I could be there with, to enjoy it. But um, all right, so I, I I want to do end this the the same way we did last time because I because we you you've talked before about there's vaccines that are out now they're current. You got a big one that's coming on out. Obviously, um, you know, kids you got the kids going back to school. The biggest problem with the kids, obviously, is they become super spreaders themselves. They get it sick, and they can go and get a, a lot of other family members sick. So, I guess what, what's your suggestion here? Do, do do you recommend now go get the vaccine right now, then get that booster in a few months when the, yeah, after it's become available, and then try to figure out your flu shot in there somewhere? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, I said that it wasn't coming until October. We thought. Now I'm hearing reports it could be here in mid-September. So since it's targeted against this XBB family that's flying around right now, I would suggest if you can just be very careful for the next next few weeks and wait for this new one to come out. Um, also, at the same time, I'd recommend getting your uh, your uh, RSV shot. And, um, you know, you might want to wait a little more time to get your flu shot or get your flu shot right now. Have all those three because this this RSV for older folks like myself and the uh, younger kids under five, oh boy, it's it's really nasty. And if our immune systems are already weakened, look out, it uh, it's not going to be good. So um, that's kind of what my advice is for, for right now. And uh, Hopefully, you know, the government just allocated $5 billion to get our next generation of vaccine where we don't have to play whack a variant every every six months or every year to create a new uh, vaccine because we can't we can't keep doing this. And I'm saying for the next four years, this bugger is going to be around. So um, get used to it and uh, please, please mask and and be safe and and go (laughs) 
Well, one, one, oh, last, one last quick question here. So, so if someone has gotten this vaccine, because I know I've actually known some people who's gotten got went out and got the current booster, is that still going to be okay? How many long? How long between that one and the next one they could get that next one that that one that comes out that goes after the XBBs? Yeah, yeah, they're going to have to wait another six months. Okay, um, unless unless you got a doctor that's uh, that knows what they're talking about, and uh, they'll they'll let you get it earlier in about three months. So, All right, so. Uh, that's where we are. All right. Dr. Joe, if you're not following his blog, you need to. I will post his blog on all the social media sites a little bit later on. Dr. Joe, it's it's scary, but it's my goodness, I, I'm, I'm glad to be one of the few places we're still putting this information out because the reality is, is if, if not for you, I don't know a lot, if, if a lot of people would have any clue how bad this could potentially get. So thank you very much. As always, I really appreciate the time. And I, I thank you and commend your show for doing a great public service. And uh, keep up, keep going, and stay safe. Thanks, Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe Eastman, thank our you. COVID modeling specialist. We'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the first hour when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I am, you're starting to see this story kick itself back up to the top of the news cycle. And I'm, I'm not joking. When I was at the Target in Duluth, uh, when I was dropping off my daughter for college there and I was looking around, I'm like, if three people four people in this place have got covid i guarantee you 200 people are going to have it by the time this 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 store trip is over and it just is it's it's that crazy and yeah i understand i get it people don't want to go back to that i get it but we lost a lot of people and and i said this and i'll say i'll stand by this we did an insane injustice to the greatest generation. They didn't deserve to go on out like that, to have some selfish 35-year-old jackass sit there and say, I want my chicken wings and beer in a sports bar and end up by process of contamination after contamination after contamination, killing off some guy who's, who, who is you know, a, a young soldier at World War One or World War II. Or, or was in Korea. The greatest generation did not deserve that. And now most of, most of those men are gone. Now we're seeing the baby boomers. And I don't think they deserve this either. Unfortunately for the baby boomers, there's a lot of people in the baby boomers saying, I'm not sick. I've got this. Is, this is Bill Gates and his microchip controlling my immune system. Yeah, I'm... This you got to take this seriously. You just got to take this seriously, and so please take it seriously. If you're in a large crowd, taking a mask with you not the worst idea. And if, as you said, if you're waiting in line, if you're at the state fair and you're waiting in line for Sweet Martha's or something, yeah, throw the mask on while you wait. You can take it off and eat your stuff afterwards. That's no big problem. We'll take a break. Hour two. That's coming up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Thursday, 952-946-6205. It is the Matt McNeil Show. Of course, last night, a lot of people caught the Republican debate minus Trump. 
uh, that was going down. Michael Broadcorp is uh, a political pundit covering politics a lot from the Republican side of things. Of course, he's got michaelbroadcorp.com as well as also his uh, podcast, The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky, which they did a live uh, analysis of the event last night. He is kind enough today to take some time to talk about the debate as well as some other things with the Republican Party. Hey, Michael. Matt, how are you? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Everything going okay? It's great. You know, one thing I realized is I'm not as young as I used to be. I was up late last night <laughs> doing a live stream, getting audio out, and boy, am I tired today. It sounds like a joke, but I there's no punchline. I'm just tired. <laughs> no, it's the same way. It's like 9.30. Wow, I need to get to bed. You know, <laughs> I'm with you 100% at this point. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a late night, way past my bedtime. Okay, well, you you watch this debate. I mean, once again, it was it was a lot of Republicans running who are not named Trump, who is clearly, you know, even though he wasn't there, his presence was felt there. What was your overall take of the debate as you saw it? Uh, my take, a couple things. Process-wise, far too many candidates on stage. I think it was a distraction. Yeah. I think the RNC should have had a higher standard, Matt. I know that they want to show uh, enthusiasm, and it, but the reality is they want to show enthusiasm and diversity, talk about all the great candidates that are running. But there were too many candidates on stage. It was difficult to follow the debate. It was tip, difficult to get a substantive uh, exchange and grab the attention of people. That being said, uh, I think uh, the, who really – we'll talk about the tough night first. I think Ron DeSantis had a tough night. I really – I'm really struggling to figure out – what I don't know what reboot we're on, and you know you follow politics uh, as closely as I do. Democrat more than a Republican. There's a rich history inside these presidential races of candidates rebooting themselves. Probably one of the most famous in the last thirty plus years is Bill Clinton. Yeah, when he ran, he he had to reboot his campaign, and he was running for president in '92 the first time, and you know it was a big victory in New Hampshire where he was able to come back. Finishing in, I think he came like second or third place, and that was a big win. Ron DeSantis is in reboot like two or three, if not more than that, and it's just not working. And I don't think last night worked for him uh, at all. I, I just don't think his personality, his style, translates outside of outside of Florida. Well, and, and I just and, don't think and, the nationwide ticket. Well, and you, you, you bring up a great point. This was his chance to come on here and kind of correct course. How was he so ill-prepared for this? I mean, that one point where, you know, he's looking around to see what everyone else, if they raise their hand and he meekly raises his hand, I'm like, you know, dude, man, you need to be much more assertive out here. And he just, it once again, just looked like he was incredibly ill-prepared. He also doesn't look like he's having a fun time. No. And one of the things I think is important is for people, I think, you know, running for president, uh, I've never run before, Matt. I don't know if you have either. No. But running for president is, I would ha is by all accounts, an exhausting job, oh, exhausting yeah. uh, advocacy and, and a, a role to fill. And Ron DeSantis never looks like he's having any fun. And I know we have serious issues. This is a difficult political time climate, but there's no humor, wit, or anything that's ultimately likable, I think, to Ron DeSantis that I'm like, 
I think he could be a, a good that, that I can relate to on a personal level. He has a on the from the center right side, he's got a great record to Republicans in Florida. But the reality is that what he has accomplished in Florida, I don't think is a sellable message in any blue or purple state. And so I think Ron DeSantis is, you know, a really good presidential candidate for the state of Florida, but not nationwide. And I think he had a bad night on the who I think had a good night was Nikki Haley. And and I think she showed grit. I think she showed passion. She showed uh, that she was, you know, strong, um, uh, you know, just a good. She was verbally a really good, you know, street fighter. Um, I think she, out of any of the candidates on the stage, the, the one that I think showed the most strength and passion and will, willingness to get in the corner and fight was Nikki Haley. And I should say, for the interest of disclosure, I, I don't do any volunteer paid work or anything for any of the campaign. So I'm totally, a, 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 my, my analysis isn't bought and paid for. Well, um, and, and, and I'm on the other side of the aisle. I agree with you because she did something. I noticed her doing something which we haven't seen probably since, you know, 20, uh, you know, the, on the Republican side, maybe since t- uh, 2008, maybe even before then, which was she embraced the fiscal conservative, which seems to have gotten escaped and her calling out and saying, you know, Hey, Trump raised the budget deficit by eight trillion here. You can't just basically ignore that. If we really want to be fiscally conservative, you need to realize where the mistakes are being made. And it was like, oh my God, that was like a Reagan era, Reagan era fiscal conservative. And that, that message resonated back in the eighties with a lot of people. And it, it, because it sounded so, you know, refreshing since it hasn't been evoked. I thought that that was a good message. The pragmatic nature of her argument was was something that was relatively refreshing. Correct, and I also think that there are there was some re- there was some interesting dynamics between the candidates. You know, I used to play hockey, so I like to use the phrase like getting in the corner, kind of mixing it up a little bit. She got in the corners last night. She was she was very willing to throw some elbows, fight for the puck. Uh, and really engage and spar with some people. Who I also think had a really tough night was Mike Pence. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think he's attempting to appeal to evangelicals. I think what Mike Pence was looking for last, I, I think, in the as we go through history years from now, I think Mike Pence will be recognized and appreciated for what he did on January 6th and in that that time frame to stop Donald Trump from enacting more trauma to the United States government. I think what Mike Pence wants is he wants like a a pat on the back. He wants a sense of appreciation from people. And so once you kind of, he's on stage and you give him, uh, you know, the proper respect and acknowledgement that he deserves for what he did. I don't know that his campaign has much relevancy outside of that. What I think he's going to do, he's obviously passionate about issues that are important to him. I just think he is, there's no lane for him. Um, And I think that, that, I think his window, once you get past the Mike Pence, what he did on January 6th, uh, and then that time frame, I don't know if there's much else there. Well, and also, I just think that, 
Well, I was going to say, and also, there's a lot of people within the Republican Party that don't like him for what he did on January 6th. That they Absolutely felt that, correct, and so you know that it's it's a hard sell. I mean, I think it's a. I will say this about Pence: if he does become the nominee, that's actually a sell that's going to resonate with I think a lot of independents and Democrats, even that you know I was the goalkeeper that prevented this from going any further. Uh, but at the same time, I just I think you're right. It it it's that evangelical appeal that he's trying to do to win the Republican nomination is just not going to get him there. No, it's not. Who else I thought had a good night because I like what he says is Chris Christie. The problem is, is that Chris Christie has not gotten out of the lane of just the anti-Trump guy. As I've disclosed to your listeners before, and I've disclosed multiple times, I didn't, I wasn't a Trump person in 16. I wasn't a Trump person in 20. So I believe that Chris Christie what his message is about, you know, saying, look, is the best that we can do someone who's, you know, been is who's out on bail for three criminal cases going to be a fourth year later on today. I resonate with that message because I think that Chris Christie is delivering the kind of the kind of share moonstruck slap on the side of the head, snap out of it type speech that I think Republicans need to hear. But Christie hasn't shown, I think, an ability to get past that point. Um, but there were some other candidates, you know, as you noted, I did a live stream, um, my post and I bet you shared in the live stream afterwards. Someone mentioned in our live stream mentioned Tim Scott. I had completely forgotten he was on stage. Um, and so yeah. there were just far too many candidates on stage to begin with. And ultimately, Matt, as was, the, as it was, the question was framed up last night, the elephant in the room was the elephant not in the room was Donald Trump. Mm. I believe, I believe as the sun will set tonight and rise tomorrow, that Donald Trump is the front runner for the Republican nomination. There is nothing to make me think as of today, he is not going to be the nominee. And mm. so a little of this, this debate last night was kind of like uh, getting, uh, watching, uh, you know, a bunch of preseason NFL games. It, it just, you know, it's fun to see the, the, the motions, and it's, but it's not the real thing. Mm-hmm. And so that was my perspective on the debate. It was Trump cast a very big shadow over it. But ultimately, who I think is going to be the nominee of the Republican Party, I don't believe they were on stage last night. The when Okay, so and you brought up Tim Scott. Tim Scott, Asa Hutchinson, and Borgum, they basically were irrelevant. Chris Christie, I want to get back to one quick question about him. I think he knows he's got no chance at the Republican nomination, but I think that he has no problem setting himself up for 2028 by basically saying, I'm the guy that's been against this guy. And I I think that, you know, even though he's probably not going to resonate and he's not going to show up in in the top three in any of these, these states that come up, you know, beginning of next year. I think he's going to be in this for a while because I feel as if he he's got a personal axe to grind. And also he feels as if he's kind of on a mission. And I think that we are not done listening to Chris Christie involved in this whole thing at all. You make a fantastic point. Fantastic. Here's the, here's, here's the, the concern I have. I hope you're right. Here's the concern I have. If Donald Trump isn't, let, let's say in some circumstance that Donald Trump is not the nominee. Let's say that my analysis is wrong. Trump is not the nominee. Trump people are not leaving the party. And so if where do those people go? And I think that unless something substantive happens, 
there is, we have what is being established right now inside the party is a Trump lane. Mm -hmm. Very similar to what occurred after Reagan left in 88. You know, it was occupying that Reagan lane, that kind of moral conservative lane that existed. And, you know, that, that baton was then passed to, to, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush. And then eventually then it went to, you know, his son. There's that kind of Bush kind of chaining lane. I think we have, the, the, as I've been providing analysis on this, there is a MAGA lane. And, and that lane is the best highway to the nomination right now. And that's why I think Trump, and he's leading that car right now, and that procession is on its way to Georgia to get, to get, may potentially get a booking photo later today. Yes. But he's leading that race. And, the, and what you also saw last night, Matt, was the number of candidates trying to get into that lane, and, and they don't want to, they want to be, that's the way you have Vivek, some of these other candidates that are desperately trying to be in the lane because if Trump is not, if Trump is, that's the path to the nomination. And so there's only, there's only a couple credible lanes to get to the nomination. The absolute strongest, shortest lane is the Donald Trump MAGA lane. So even if Trump isn't the nominee, those candidates are still going to go through that. And that's why you see candidates still, even last night being unwilling to, um, not be as critical and as thoughtful as they should be about stuff. Uh, One point about Nikki Haley that I was disappointed with was that? when she raised her hand and said that she would support Donald Trump as the nominee, even if he was convicted. That was disappointing to see. Well, it was, and, and and I'll say this about Nikki Haley: it was it was very disappointing to see that. I also though did I did enjoy her taking down a Vivek Ramaswamy. On Ukraine and just sort of saying, wait a second here, you're going to side with that guy over a country that loves the United States? Come on. This is not rocket science. You know, she she at one point she really showed her, you know, when she was a, the secretary of the U.N., her international cred, which is a real strength for her in any race. But then, yeah, it's just and, and I mean, the, really the only one I mean, Asa Hutchinson eventually came up and said, yeah, I'd vote for him. It was only Christie sort of implied he probably wouldn't. Uh, if that was the case. And yeah, that was kind of a, a bellwether moment there is that, that, that this is party is still controlled by Trump. Matt, I've never wanted to see a presidential candidate lunch money stolen faster than I wanted to see Vivek last night. Uh, he <laughs> just was a really frustrating candidate. And, and, and uh, it just was really, and, and I think he was getting under the other candidate's skin and look, Politics, you know, is about addition. Successful politics is about addition, not subtraction. And I'm, and I don't know how Vivek um, came out of that debate last night, winning over any of the people on the stage. And maybe that, and clearly that's not his agenda. Uh, but I think a lot of his support is online. There's a, and as someone articulated last night in our live stream, said. He is trying to out Trump Trump. And there's only one person who can Trump, who can, who can be Trump, and that's Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And they, in essence, call him a poor man, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I, you can see that persona, but I, I was very turned off by him. I have a difficult time thinking that he has much appeal. I think he's auditioning to be Trump light. And he just really rubbed me the wrong way. Well, okay, so I want to because here's the the impression I got of Vivek Ramaswamy, 
Because there's a lot of people that say, well, he did great last night. You and I have a different perspective, though, because we just went through this last election cycle. Scott Jensen, what did he do? He was a, a relative moderate senator. I mean, he was he brought up the diabetes bill, uh, the you know, the, the insulin bill. That was his baby that was initially got voted down. He goes out when he decides to run, does every anti-vaxxer, QAnon, far-right MAGA. He really dives into this side to basically – because he knows the way – the path to the nomination goes through that. He goes there, and then what did we see? He had a nightmare situation trying to walk all these statements back because you're not going to win a statewide race by you know appealing to the far-right of the Republican Party. Vivek Ramaswamy, he, showed, he has his supporters start last night with that – you know, you know, Minuteman march of the colonists march in towards the, the the arena like this. He's trying to appeal to definitely to 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 white culture in in, in that and and the, some of these Republican values. He out maggot Trump at some point there. And the first thing I said to myself is Vivek Ramaswamy is the Scott Jensen of the on this stage right now because he's trying to get there. But good luck when you try to walk all this stuff back when you get to the general because that's the poison pill. You you can go out into that Trump lane, as you described, and be all the MAGA you want to be, but MAGA only gets you about 30% of the population. You got to get the other 70 or at least another 20% of the population on board if you're going to have a chance. You're, you're, you are spot on with your analysis, spot on with your analysis. Uh, we saw this week uh, some comments about 9-11 come out uh, about him and, and, and some of his statements he's made. Uh, you know, these Republican candidates. Uh, all politics is local, Matt, as Tip O'Neill famously said. Yep. And whether it's whether you're a candidate running for president, uh, whether you're a candidate running for local office, Republican candidates and Democratic candidates, but 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 as, speaking as a Republican, Republicans have to learn to keep their rhetoric out of the ditch. And Vivek has been tripped up by that. And uh, Chris Christie, I think, had one of the lines of the night. Calling him the Chat GPI Jet Chat, uh, in essence, the AI candidate. Yeah, uh, he was speaking the AI talking points, and I think that um, I just don't see. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of depth there, and you know, I'm I'm going to be 50 this year. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't practice ageism um, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm I believe. Uh, that there should, you know, I'm kind of frustrated. I've been all, all public about this saying I wish there were candidates from a little bit of a different generation that we're running right now. I would love to see the baton passed off to a younger generation this next cycle. But that being said, Vivek's age is not disqualifying. His positions and how he comes across are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't think he has, a, he is an appealable candidate. And he would have been someone that I think, you know, that there wasn't much of a benefit to him being on the stage. But we'll see. I don't think, I don't know that there were, and I'd be curious to get your take. You're the interviewer, not me, but I would be curious to get your take. If anyone's campaign ended last night, I don't think anybody's did, but I'd like to get your take on that if you don't mind. Tim Scott. I think, I mean, it was it yep. was an opportunity for him to come on out and shine. And you're right. Where was he? He's on the stage. He, I don't remember. There is not a single quote from Tim Scott in any news coverage of this thing. Right wing, left wing, center of the road. No one even noticed the guy on the stage. I think he's done. Uh, I, I think Asa Hutchinson, you know, you know just you, he was not he was going to have a hard time getting traction as it was. 
But I, I honestly think I came back with that. I don't think it's done today. I don't think it's done in a week. I just do not see Ron DeSantis making it to Iowa. I just do not see him there. He just looks so bad. And every time we look at him now, he looks he just looks uncomfortable. He doesn't look happy. Yes. He looks out of yes. he looks out of his own skin, for goodness sakes. And he's trying desperately to 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 do something which I just don't think he can. It does bring up an interesting point, and I don't know if you and I have discussed this. I talked this with other political pundits before. He's from Florida, and the first question I asked is, can actually anyone from Florida, Democrat or Republican, ever win a nationwide election? And that is a that is a tough sell. And he he went up to Iowa. I know a guy that down there that was the moderator for that Iowa the get together they had, and he said that he comes up there and he starts talking about all the great things they're doing in Florida, and he says people. He, he said DeSantis does not understand that people in Iowa do not give a rat's caboose about Florida. As a matter of fact, that's not a selling point, and and I just don't know if a guy from Florida could win a national election, and I think that that's also working against DeSantis. I would agree with you. I, I just. I think is that's important. I think that's key. I just don't think that DeSantis is likable. And again, I don't think we're being petty. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're being personal. I just don't think he's having fun. There's no, there's just a, you know, there's, there's, he's just an awkward individual. Um, he's just awkward and he doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't, that doesn't mean that he hasn't accomplished, that he hasn't had a successful personal life, political career, all those things. I just don't think he looks comfortable on the presidential stage. And the reality is that, as you and I know, that there are a lot of people, uh, not to bring, I'll bring up Bill Clinton's name again. Bill Clinton had a blast on the campaign trail. And he brought a lot of fun and energy and enthusiasm to the campaign trail. We haven't, I mean, Clinton, Bill Clinton brought Fleetwood Mac back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Ron DeSantis just doesn't seem like he's having fun. And so, I understand that these are serious times, but I do think that people want to feel a personal connection to the candidate. And I certainly uh, didn't see that last night from Ron DeSantis. And, and my final point will be about the debate on this particular subject is what, what there ultimately needs to be is a clear number two. And I think coming into the debate, it had, DeSantis had largely been the main foil of Trump. And I think last night it's pretty clear that I don't think Ron DeSantis has longevity to stay the prominent number two. And the question is, who is going to be that new number two? But let me be clear. There's a lot of distance between number one Trump and whoever is number two. That number two is a distant second. Mm -hmm. Uh, DeSantis is a less insecure Jeb Bush. And, and, And that's the best way. Jeb Bush couldn't get out of his own way either. And, and, and I so, wish you had said that off the air because I would steal that and take credit for it. But you said it on air. <laughs> now I have to give you credit for it. No, That's you, a great line. I will tell you what. It's a less insecure Jeb Bush, but I'm going to tell you what. You can take it all day long. I don't care. Just get you because I agree with you. You're, you're a friend, man. I agree with you and I actually I can get along. That. So it's all yours. By the way, one last quick thing for you. You mentioned Tip O'Neill. I'm at my mom's house down in South Carolina. I'm walking through it and I see a picture. I said, sweet Jesus. That's my mom with Tip O'Neill. So when did you meet oh Tip O'Neill? So when did you meet Tip O'Neill? My mom and my dad, when we lived in Rhode Island, were up in Boston visiting with some friends, and Tip O'Neill was in the restaurant. And Tip O'Neill, they said, "Can we get a picture?" And here's Tip, just pure Tip, laughing, smiling, looks like he's half in the bag already. 
And my mom said, yeah, he kept trying to pick me up. And I said, there you go. That's a great story. <laughs> the Tip O'Neill, Speaker of the House. But, yeah, that was Tip. I, I, they, they, my mom met Tip O'Neill, and that is and, – and, and tried to get picked up by Tip O'Neill. So there you go. That's something to be proud of. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Michael Broadcorp. Okay, michaelbroadcorp.com. You can find all of his information there. Of course, the book, The Girls Are Gone, you can find that as where, there as well. And make sure you go and follow The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. They talk to a lot about uh, politics, especially from the Republican side. You'll get a good insight. And you know what? You can't make informed decisions without good insight, so make sure you're listening to his podcast as well. Michael, as always, a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you, my friend. All the best to you. Be well. Take care. Uh, Michael Broadcorp, uh, we'll take a break. Come on back. Uh, It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. By the way, just before anyone starts saying, okay, Matt, that that bro fest you just had with Broadcorp there, I wish you would be concerned. Oh, there's no way in hell I'd vote for any of those people. There's, they all raised their hand and said they'd vote for Donald Trump outside of Christie. He really didn't. I've seen you in your Vivek for President t-shirt. Oh, that's Vivek. All right, let me start with Vivek for a quick sec. Okay, let me start with him. All right, I get what he's doing. He's doing the MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. I'm the MAGA guy. I'm the young MAGA guy. This is an inconvenient truth for the Republicans, but it's the truth. Your nomination process goes through very white, rural America, which screams, try that in a small town. Black Lives Matter is evil. I don't go to Minneapolis because of those people. Why are these women so uppity? You could have a message that resonates you're not going to win over a vast majority of those voters. You're just not because that's the ugly truth of it. And so when you look at uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and and Nikki Haley, um, I, I think that's part of your big problem of is this, is you are going into – Donald Trump said – there were good people on both sides of Charlottesville. He's talking to a very specific demographic, a demographic who shows up and shows up and it looks very, very white, like a, a small town Lutheran, Lutheran church's bingo night. It is, that's what it is. It's white, 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 white. And I just do not think, I mean, uh, Vivek knows this. He that's why he's he's really putting I mean, he's trying to hit every talking point he has out there. That's why, frankly, I mean, there are people pointed out that he he stole that line from Barack Obama and try to play it off as itself. He did that because he knows that the people are going to call, catch him on this and that he knows there are some people say, yeah, take that line away from Barack Obama and make it one of ours. That sort of thing. He knows exactly what he's doing. I just do not think he's, you know, you're, as long as Trump's in the race, he's not going to outdo it. I would say this. Here's the other thing about him. The fact that he very vocally said, yep, I'd pardon Donald Trump very much right away. 
That tells you exactly he's looking for the vice presidency. That's what he's looking for right now. And he knows he knows that Donald Trump might just take him because he's a business guy who said he's going to let me go. I like that. So um, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley did the best of all of them last night. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with Broadcorp's take on Pence, with his take on, on, on DeSantis, with his take on Christie. When, when you look at Nikki Haley, she kind of won. And the reason why is that she went to a point old school. She became that 1980s fiscal Republican, fiscally conservative Republican, not, not necessarily a social liberal but definitely something that was hasn't been seen in a long time, and that, that this person who is willing to call out, well, Donald Trump added, added ten, eight trillion dollars. And by the way, can I make this point? That was probably the first time many people watching that debate actually heard that number. That Donald Trump actually added added eight trillion dollars to the deficit. That is not something that the right wing media reports on. And so, I give her credit for that. At least getting that little nugget out there and reminding people, hey, before you think that Republicans are fiscal conservatives, have I got a number for you? That takedown of Vivek on Ukraine was one of those moments where it was it was a moment where she elevated herself against just talking to Republicans and was just talking to Americans. And I thought that that was a good point. Then again, she said, I'd still vote for Trump. So. <laughs> Boom. Any goodwill you had is is gone. I will say as well, it's it's fascinating to watch the Republicans deal with the abortion issue because um they were there, you know, there is part of that party that doesn't want any abortion at all, no exceptions. And there were people out there who was like, you know, we should have a 15 week, you know, it's a 12 week, 12 week, I think it was 12 week or 15 week uh standard that 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 should be the national standard is a 15 weeks that you shouldn't have, you know, any other options than that. Uh, and, you know, once again, here's what I'm going to say is if you've got a Republican out there who is saying this, you can't back that up unless it's in their party's official platform. And right now, let me tell you, the Minnesota Republican Party and the, the GOP on the national level are not about to change their abortion stances in their platforms because – they need as many of those still people that still support their no you know you know no exceptions no choice whatsoever no exceptions even rape incest they need those people still in the fold come election season so they're not about to start alienating them by trying to change this so if it's if they're saying they're oh I'm for this but they're not going to change their platform don't trust them and I said this yesterday we talked about this yesterday with the Brianna Bierschbach uh, article. The Republicans get into power, and what happens? They all these Republicans who say, "I'm a moderate, I'm an independent voice, I'll, I'm going to, to create my own path," all of a sudden stick their tail between their legs and vote with the far right extremist, far right of the party. And so you can't trust them. They haven't shown that you can trust them to do the right thing on this issue. And I guarantee you that there are enough far right loon balls in these Republican parties that I guarantee you they're going to go on out there and. Oh, well, the second I get into power, the first bill I'm going to introduce is a, a change the Constitution of Minnesota to make abortion illegal in all cases. 
And all of a sudden you're going to get, hey, you know, I go, I campaigned on abortion rights, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to vote for this. They'd rather do that. 952-946-6205. I want to get into a different story here because I think we need to step back and reevaluate how we do some things in the criminal justice system. And this is this story that came out today is a prime example of how the system is horrifically failing the victims of domestic violence. Horrifically. A Hopkins man has been charged with murdering his ex-girlfriend towards whom he had had a lengthy history of domestic abuse leading up to her death. Michael Brenneman, 39, was charged with assaulting 33-year-old uh, Danica Bergeson on uh, Bergeson on April and in April and May, and was released for jail on both occasions ahead of future sentencing. Bergeson was then found dead in the 400 block of Van Buren Avenue North inside her Hopkins apartment on July 8th. Brenneman also attempted to take his own life by drinking bleach at the scene, was taken to the hospital, and then booked into Hennepin County Jail. According to the court documents, Brenneman had shown a lengthy history of domestic abuse towards Bergeson. Uh, He had been previously accused of punching, choking, biting, and making death threats towards her. In April, Brenneman had been charged with hitting and biting Bergeson and told police that this time he was so drunk he didn't remember what happened. Brenneman was released from custody the following day and assaulted Bergerson again in May, hitting her, biting her, and choking her for a minute and a half, charges say. He also made death threats while he was choking Bergerson. Brenneman pleaded guilty in both cases, was released from custody on June 27th ahead of his scheduled sentencing on August. The terms of his guilty plea say the protection agreed to no additional time in custody as long as Brenneman didn't violate the domestic abuse of no contact order filed against him. So let me stop right there. You have a guy who clearly is not trustworthy in regards to respecting a restraining order. And your solution with him is, well, if you pinky swear you're going to follow it, we'll let you out. That is not how it works. That is not how it works. And that's just stupid. Let me repeat, that is just stupid. And I get it. You don't have a finite amount uh, amount of jail cells and stuff like this. But after the second time, how in the hell did you say, well, I'm sure he's not going to go do this again? Come on. Bergeson was found dead in her apartment bedroom, wrapped in several blankets, a garbage bag, and covered with a thick comforter. Investigators believe Bergeson may have been dead for a day or longer, dying sometime between June 29th and July 8th. The Hennepin County Medical Examiner has yet to release an official cause of death. A criminal complaint said the victim had abrasions and bruising. Court documents say Brenneman uh, wrote a note found in the kitchen table, said that he never loved anyone like Bergeson, adding he can't try to live after this. Apparently, I will say that he had also some other drafts. I'll come back to that here in a second. Prosecutors say they recorded Brenneman in a jail call saying Bergeson's death was a crime of passion to a family member with the thought it could carry a lighter sentencing. Without discussing anything, that's kind of the way it was anyway. It's not like I blank had been plotting something Brenneman reportedly said. Um, A GoFundMe to help raise funds. 
uh, for Brun- uh, Bergeson's funeral and to ease the financial burden of her loved ones, who was raised uh, 1100 as a Thursday. According to her obituary, Bergeson served as a field medic in the U.S. military, earned a bachelor's degree in animal science from the University of Minnesota in 2007. Danica Marie Bergeson leaves behind a legacy of service, strength, and resilience. Her memory will be forever be cherished by her family, friends, and loved ones. May she rest in peace, knowing that the impact of the world will continue to inspire others and generations to come. The obituary reads, Brenneman is charged with one count of second-degree murder, second count of second-degree murder. While under a restraining order, he'll make his first appearance in court in the murder charges on Wednesday. Unless they let him out. You just got to pinky swear you'll come back, okay? Pinky swear you're going to come back. Oh, now you're going to take it seriously after there's a dead body. I've talked about this before because we have these new red flag laws and there are these these complete and total freaking morons that are coming into our state that are the sheriffs are the highest authority in the land. And if they don't want to obey the Constitution, they don't have to. So that you know, that, and I've said this with the red flag laws. You're going to have someone who's going to have their weapons. A judge is going to say, "Oh yeah, there's definitely a need to take the weapons away from this individual." And some sheriff in this state's going to go, "I ain't going to do nothing." Pating, and then all of a sudden, someone's dead because he got his guns back and he went and killed them. And he's like, "Well, you know, you have to understand that uh, you know this is you know this is out of out of respect for the families. I can't talk about the fact that I could have stopped this and I didn't." This is the same thing. You had the chance to stop this and you just didn't. And this is unacceptable in any way, shape, or form. He apparently had written multiple letters um, that – and one of them referenced, I was so drunk, I didn't know what I was doing. I blacked out. I woke up. She was dead. He clearly – what he was doing was this, at least from my perspective. I mean I – I, I'm no, you know, judge or counselor or anything like that. But he clearly seems like he killed her. Then he started trying to figure out some excuse because he knew immediately they'd come to find him because he was out and he has a history of beating on her. That they were going to blame him, so he starts trying to devise plans to or, or arguments to try to justify. I blacked out. I was drunk. I had no idea what I was doing. What I was doing. It was a crime of passion. Blah bitty blah bitty blah bitty blah. No, he just murdered him. He's he, he's he, he seems to be, you know, you know, innocent until proven guilty. I guess in the court of law. But he seems to be a freaking psychopath that just can't stop himself from his rage of and and it came to a point where he killed someone. Eventually got to a point where he's trying to kill himself because he realizes – I don't think he was trying to kill himself because he couldn't live without her. He was trying to kill himself because he realized there was no out for him. He was just being selfish. And to a point, I'm glad he didn't die because we can lock his ass up for the rest of his life now. As he should have been. I have had friends who have been victims of domestic violence. I have had friends who have had restraining orders where all of a sudden someone shows up and they're not supposed to be there. Now, I'm grateful the friends I've had have not had anything of this magnitude, but the reality is what in the F are you people thinking after the second time of letting this guy go? 
because it wasn't as if he was just hanging outside of her apartment complex. It's not as if, you know, he just happened to run into her at Ridgedale or something like that. No, he went in, he abused her, beat her, attacked her. You put her in, in jail, you let him go. He immediately goes out. He, he he attacks her, abuses her, beats her again. You have him again. And you, who is the rocket scientist that sat there and said, well, I guess we can trust him this time? Because you clearly couldn't. I, I, I guarantee you no one did a mental evaluation of whether or not that person should have been let out. Because my guess would be is that a a basic common sense mental evaluation would say, oh, hell no, we can't, no, 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 we can't let this guy out. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I do actually, though, have a question here of if this is what you're doing, if you're letting domestic abusers out, we do have the technology to keep people safe, why are we not using this? Why is the state not using it? I'll come back to that in a second. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So, okay, fine. Let's, let's look at this situation. Let's look at this. Let's find the solution. Let's say you have someone who is a domestic abuser. They've repeatedly done something. So you have multiple cases where they have – they got a restraining order out there. And you say to me, oh, well, Matt, we just don't have the space. We can't put this person in lockup all – you know, until their court dates. We have to release them. Okay. Then why not stop talking about freaking pinky swears – and use the technology we have today, which is not exactly the most outrageous technology out there. It's pretty standard stuff now to keep people safe. Simply this. That person does not leave that jail unless they've got an ankle monitor on them, which if they try to cut it off, they try to do anything like that, they get the, the alarm bells go on off and that's the case. They have to wear it. The other individual, the person who has been the the abused, gets a key fob that they just put on their keychain, and they can carry it everywhere with them. If that ankle bracelet gets within 200 yards of that key fob, an alarm goes off, and if it's more than 30 seconds— Police are immediately dispatched on a 911 call to the key fobs location to make sure that the woman is kept safe or the, the abused individual, I should say, is kept safe. How is that? And I already say, well, Matt, but wait a minute here, Matt. If they cut off the thing, well, if they cut off the, 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 the ankle monitor, that should be an immediate call from the police right away. And and obviously you can put someone under protective custody if, if you know in, in the guards of the, the victim – if they know that this person's just cut off their 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 monitor, get them to a safe place. The point is is that you can do things. And no, I don't necessarily feel like making the victims a victim again by saying having a police show up their door saying, "I got bad news for you. He cut off his ankle monitor. I need you to pack a bag. We're going to go to someone else's house. We need you to get there right away. So we're going to keep you safe." 
or we're going to take you. We're going to put you into a, 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 a facility uh, that's going to be able to you know monitor who comes in and comes and goes to the door. We need to do this until we catch this guy. I get that. I don't want to necessarily do this, but I would rather do that than have someone dead. And the reality is, is that I think you have the technology today that say, okay, fine, we can't trust you necessarily, but we don't have the space to put you into prison. We're going to put the ankle monitor on you. If you dare touch the thing, we're going to chuck your butt back in jail and you will stay in jail. We'll find a space for you at that point. But you can go out there and if you get anywhere near this woman or this victim, anywhere near them, then guess what? You are going, we're going to, it's a 911 call. We're going to show up. And if you're found anywhere near them, you're going to jail again. I don't, that seems like something we could do. And at the very least, if that stops a few people from getting reassaulted or even killed, why aren't we doing that? I mean, isn't it basically the freaking same technology as you get from the coaster you get at a wait, a restaurant when they say, we'll buzz you when your table's ready? I mean, really, it is, isn't it? It's the same technology as geocaching. Seriously. How, how has this not been something we have done? Oh, Matt, the cost. Trust me, this is not going to be that expensive. And... Granted, there are still, you know, the guy, like I said, or the individual could cut their ankle bracelet off. I'm saying guy and female because of this case here of the Hopkins case. But, it, you know, it's the, 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 the abuser could cut off their ankle bracelet. The victim could forget the key fob. Understandably, there are this is not perfect. But I guarantee you, if the person's at home, the key fob's there because they had to get in the house somehow, right? And if the person's got the ankle bracelet on, Yeah. I do not know why if you can't you can't trust these people. You can not trust these people. And so why you're trying to hope that, you know, you 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 know, making them pinky swear is somehow going to get a better result, I don't know. But you you can't no. No, you can't do it like this. Not anymore. Come on. And like I said, I'm not exactly going Star Trek in the science fiction world here. This is all stuff that's real freaking attainable right now. Technology we have right now, why aren't we using it? Uh, Last thing here before I go, Trump is going to – if you're wondering why we haven't talked about Trump, he's not going to be there, I think, until 6.30 tonight. 7.30 he's on the East Coast, so 6.30 our time. That's when we get the magical mug shot and find out his actual weight. (laughs) Matty Happy. Uh, It was funny. Laura Loomer had a rally for all the outraged Trump fans in the country. 20, 20 whole people showed up. I hope you didn't bring two dozen eggs because you're going to have some leftovers. (laughs) Oh, get those Christmas cards ready, kids. We'll be back tomorrow. Native Roots Radio is up next. Have a good one. Till tomorrow, see ya.